0: Let's turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, from verses 1 through 5. This is a heavenly scene that is set before us. This is the heaven. This is what we will do in heaven. And let me read these verses for us. Then I, that is Apostle John, then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, and like the sound Of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Amen. This week... I've I've heard another news that deacon that who shared the gospel with me and for so many of us he passed away. He was in early sixties, and I was at the time a student in UT Austin. Austin, Texas. He was a deacon. A deacon who had a small business and his testimony is something to listen to. He he had a small candy shop in downtown Houston in the 80s and he said, I didn't come to America to do a candy shop. And he said, I want to make a living by doing something that I can make entire year's wage in one month. And he studied in Houston Public Library and what he became was, he became a stone buyer uh, for his jewelry store. He went around the world to purchase the rock, the ruby, emerald, or diamond, whatever, wherever the things are, he went around the world going to the mines to buy those rocks. As you know, those precious stones are embedded in the rock. So he would buy the rock, and he would process it, and he would sell it. So he was making a good money, Um, but one of the church pastors left for Russia to become a missionary, and he said to that deacon, could you uh, take care of our youth group? I'm going to Russia, and you are deacon, you have money, and you have a house. So could you do something about that? Small, like three, five people. So he said, okay. And he says he was not a true believer. He was going to church because of his wife. So he was entrusted with about five teenagers in early college, in high school, and he gave them a guitar and food. That's what he said. Uh, In coming weeks and months, he was more involved in that ministry with few teenagers And he was converted as he was leading that small group of people. And in the 90s, he started ministry as a lay person. That's where my wife went. And that's how I was drawn into that ministry. I don't know if you remember the story that she came to another town when I was in high school and college. I still found somehow same group by the providence of God. And In its heyday, that ministry had about 250 people uh, scattered around in the States. And I was told that he passed away in Korea um, last week. And I thought, first word that came to my mind was this. Precious in the sight of God is the death of His holy ones. He had so much potential. He was the one who taught me the Bible. I was not a believer. Somebody told me to come to Houston, so I went and He opened up His house this way. He had a small attached room on top of his garage. It's only two, two, two room, just regular house in Houston. But he allowed people to stay for free in that upper room. And anyone could come and pray, listen to God's word, and we were able to eat anything that was in the fridge. Can you imagine? At the time, I thought it was a normal thing to do. He never had a private life. Once he started ministry, he He says he never went away. My wife could testify. For 20 years, he never took a time away because that ministry always had Tuesday meetings and Saturday meetings. It was not a church. And it had always had people in the house, always. So I remember in the first few months, that winter retreat after retreat, Forrest College, for about a month, I stayed in that room for a whole month. And my earliest memories with him is that in his garage in the wintertime in Houston, he will open up garage door and every morning after bagel, we'll have Bible study. That's the first time that I actually opened my Bible up and he was explaining Genesis. I still remember all of his teachings. It was so fun. He made it come alive. And all these little conversations that he had, and he was the one who showed me Jesus, and he passed away. But he never became that famous person, you know. He had so much potential. So this week, I I said to myself, He passed away in Korea, and nobody really noticed. And his ministry, really, I don't know what is going on now. But he made so many disciples, and so many of us have become pastors and missionaries, so many of us, out of that small beginning. So precious in the sight of God is the death of holy ones. How precious it was, his death, somewhere in Korea that I don't even know. I looked it up. The funeral was yesterday, so I looked it up, where, if there was any news on that funeral, nothing that I was able to find on Google. But I do miss him, um, and I haven't really seen him for a while. So I thought, this is Easter Sunday. Why not talk about our assurance in heaven? It really comes down to this, the whole thing. It comes down to, to this, for all of you, these two questions. If you die tonight, are you sure you could go to heaven? If you die, so many explosions, so many killings, you don't know when you're going to die. It could be any day, any minute. So if you die right now, will you be in heaven? Are you sure about that? Do you have that assurance? Is the first question. If you don't have that assurance, that's not a Christian life that is meant to be. So that's the first question. Second question is, if God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven, what is your answer? As you know, those two questions are the evangelism explosion questions. You ask those two questions and you start the conversation. So I want to start that conversation with you. If you die right now, if something explode here, if we just die today, will you be in heaven? Yes or no? There is no middle ground. It's yes or no for you. I don't know. I'm not sure it's no for me. It could be a seed of truth, seed of faith. Yes, God could save. but if you're not sure, you really need to think about your Christian life. And why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? It touches on the heart of the gospel issue. And I want to turn to that passage today. Revelation 14. In your bulletin, I have given you chapter 13. So, could you open it up, the 13th chapter? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to notice a few things. It will make better sense if you know chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1, there's that vision. And the dragon... Stood on the sand of the seashore. There's the dragon. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. So there is dragon, which is Satan. But there's another one. Beast is coming up out of the sea. Verse 2, second half. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So dragon is the top guy. Dragon is Satan. And the beast coming out, to him dragon gave power, throne, and authority. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Why? Because there's some miraculous event. Whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Who gave him the power? Dragon. Dragon. Dragon is Satan. Who is what is the beast? You could substitute many things. People say government and whatnot. Yes. Look at verse 4. They worship the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast. So they are worshiping Satan and his minions. And they 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 worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? Look at verse 7. It was also given to him, to that beast. Given to him to make war with who? With us. And to overcome them, they win over against Christians. And authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation was given to the beast. Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world In the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Verse 10. During that time, everybody is going to suffer. Christians will suffer. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. While the beast rules and while people worship the dragon and the beast. Christians will be killed. And here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast. There's the second one coming. So Holy Trinity, the unholy Trinity. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. He spoke as a dragon. Verse 12, second half. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the beast. First beast. And let's look at Verse six, 16. He, the second beast, he causes all the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the name of his name, here is the wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So chapter 13 talks about dragon and two beasts. What we know is that there would be wide-reaching persecution and as you have seen, the whole majority of earth will follow the beast and worship Satan and the beast. It's really simple for us how we could interpret that. Always we interpret the revelations, book of Revelation through the lens of already and not yet. Once you try to identify exact government or person, trying to find that, that's not the intention of the Revelation. It talks about what probably had happened at the time of writing under Nero and the Roman government and the future generations of Christians who always suffered under these satanic governments. Also, it describes current church age. In a sense, we are living in an age where there is Satan and people worship Satan and the beasts. And Toward the end of that 13th chapter, some of you, if you don't know the revelations, you know 666. There's a building, 666, Old Country Road. Very famous building, 666. What is 666? It says it's the name of a man. What do you think that is? Right. With that background, we will Look at chapter 14, verse 1. It says this. Chaos. Until chapter 13, it is chaos. Persecution. People are dying. Saints dying. And then, chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then I look, behold. And what should I do? What should you do? We look up and we behold. As it says, behold what? the lamb. First thing that I want you to notice today as a Christian living in this age is to look at this lamb. Why not Jesus? You could have said, look at Jesus. But he's the lamb. The lamb is introduced in Revelation 5. Apostle John is weeping because there is a book, but nobody could open it up. Nobody is worthy. But one elder says, Stop crying. There is someone who can open that book. Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has overcome so as to open the book and his seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. That's right. The imagery that we get here today is Jesus as a lamb. That stands for the lamb, sacrificial lamb or Paschal lamb, which emphasizes Christ's substitutionary atonement on your behalf, on our behalf, his church, who purchased his church with his precious blood so that's the first thing from this there's chaos maybe people fear what is going on what will come what will happen to me what will happen to our family what will happen to our church for the time being the beast will have upper hand as you have seen he was given that authority But the saints, we are told to look at the Lamb. Lamb who has secured our place through His blood. So today, on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, you look at the Lamb of God. Fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Second thing that I want you to notice from this verse is this. Then I looked, and behold, the lamb standing. Second thing about this lamb was what? He's standing. Apostle John is looking at this vision. There's a lamb, but the lamb is standing. That's significant. Chapter 5, as though that lamb was slain. Probably the marks were there. But in this verse, this lamb is standing. And that is basically, he's resurrected. He is currently reigning, conquering, protecting, claiming, and cheering on his church. He's not dead. He's not on the floor or on the ground bleeding to death. But this lamb that was slain is now standing. So with all of that persecution that is happening throughout church age, and it will intensify as the end approaches, greater persecution will come. That's true. Then what should we do? What chapter 14 is saying to us is that you, the church, look. Behold the Lamb. But not that, not simply the lamb dying, but the lamb that is standing. Where is he standing? He is standing on Mount Zion. Chapter 13, verse 1, the dragon is standing on the seashore. Sand, sinking sand. Chapter 14, in contrast to that dragon, we see the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and Zion is what? Zion stands for the true city of God in the Old Testament. If you read Prophets, Book of Prophets, when the people of God sin, they sin, usually the term is Jerusalem. When Prophets say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that means you are sinning, you are dying. But Zion is never that. Jerusalem is always that, but Zion is always that victorious city of God where God is enthroned in his holy temple. Zion is victory of God, true city of God. So Psalm 2.6 says, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And Hebrews tells us that's the city that we should be looking forward to in this church age. In contrast to that Mosaic covenant in Hebrews twelve twenty two says this, But you, the church, you have come to Mount Zion. Now you will come, now you will go, but you have already arrived. You have come to Mount Zion. Where? The church of Jesus Christ. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. To the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So, today on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we, we look at that Lamb of God who's standing, not defeated, but who's standing on Mount Zion. That's the first thing that John sees. And that's something that I want us to see. As we live in this day and age, there are many things that that come at our ways and try to discourage us, try to derail us from pursuing the ministry that God has given us. So we look. Where is your hope? And where do you find your strength? When things fall apart, when things do not go according to your plan, what, what is your source of Strength as a Christian you have to look at the Lamb standing on Mount Zion that really you have to do it daily by faith going to the word of God but here is the good news I love this following words with him and with him that's the good news it's not. Well, look at 144,000. Or look at the church. Look at those people who made it. That's not it. First and foremost, it is about the lamb who has won, who has conquered. He sees the lamb standing on the Mount Zion. The main picture, the first thing that he sees is Jesus Christ standing. Where are we? With him. It's not so much that I have won, I have done it, I have, I have finished. Our place is next to Jesus, who is standing with him. And with him, 144,000. What is 144,000? It is the complete number of the believers. It is not the Jews. It is not the church remaining on earth after rapture. None of that. 144,000 coming from each 12 tribes, 12,000, those people are basically representing the true church of Jesus Christ from Old and New Testament. That's what it means. So the church is with him. Isn't that a good news? Uh, That that was most encouraging out of this verse. It is not so much what they are saying, 144,000, how they are celebrating, but the fact that they are with him. Jesus Christ, that's the church. All that persecution in chapter 13, all that crazy news that they are hearing about, where are we? In some sense, this verse is describing our current status. We are in spirit with the risen Christ in union with that risen Christ. We are one of the 144,000 True believers, true church of Jesus Christ. Where are we? We are here in Queens. But in the spirit, we are in Christ. So in some sense, this describes the current situation of the pure church of Jesus Christ. But something that we will really celebrate at the end times. So standing with him, 144,000. Last Friday, we talked briefly about 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you what? Stand. Standing is one of the favorite words for Apostle Paul. Walking and standing. Standing is the triumph of the believers. So therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand Firm stand firm therefore, having guarded your loins with truth. That hundred and forty four thousand look at verse one they have the mark, having his name and the name of his father written on their well foreheads. So if you just look at 666 from chapter 13. Problem is, people just go to that verse and says, Oh, they have the mark on the wrist and their forehead, the 666. And people have wild imagination about that. I've heard, you know, biochips here and there. I've heard American Express, the centurion is that. All kinds of rabbit hole. But 666 is representing the beast. And when it is written, that number is written on the forehead in chapter 13, verse 18, that basically tells them they belong to the beast. Just as in verse 1, 144,000, they bear the name of the father and the son on their forehead. That is a symbolic saying. Basically, we belong to God. When God puts his name upon you, that means you belong to God. So 666, basically, you don't have to try to pinpoint who that is, what that government is, who that is, basically saying they belong to Satan. Us, in our foreheads, God has written our name. So people do not chase after that. People do not try to figure out what does that mean, 144,000 with the name of God written on our foreheads. What could that be? You see, if you read from chapter 13, the end, and chapter 14, there's a parody there's a pair. And also, if you read Ezekiel 9, early in Ezekiel says this. Let me read Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. God says to the people, he, to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst problem is so many people do not know the Old Testament. Without the Old Testament, you cannot understand revelations. If you have studied revelations in full detail, I once did that. My conclusion was, Revelation is complete plagiarism of Old Testament prophecy. It's everywhere. You basically take the Old Testament prophecy and bring it into Revelation. And if you don't know... It just becomes an apocalypse, like whole thing trying to figure out future, what's going on with Russia, what's going on in the Middle East, all that puzzle solving Christians. That's not, that's not the way it should be. 666, that means it belongs to Satan's kingdom, Non-believers. We bear his name on our foreheads, meaning we belong to our God. Just like Passover lamb mark. So, I want us to look at the lamb. Where are you? Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Where is my old mentor who taught me the gospel? Who passed away in Christ? Named among the true believers? Next to the lamb? And what do they do, 144,000? They sing a new song full of praise for conquering death and sin on their behalf. That's where we are, people. That's where we will be in the future, but already and not yet. Then shouldn't we behold the Lamb today by faith Standing in Mount Zion. On Mount Zion. The victorious, sacred place where God dwells. By the way, we have already come there. Mount Zion. And we are with Him. We are with Him. Next to Him. Standing. So we resolve today to walk by faith daily. Trying to fulfill God-given ministry in our lives. That's the picture that we see in Revelations. May this be an encouragement to you in your Christian life. Let's pray.